As the 70s roll in, stability around the world has never been as shaky. Interplanetary alliances join together to seek ideological supremacy across both planets. Cultural shifts are uprooting norms that have been in place for centuries. Technological shifts have been changing how the world itself functions. As these shifts occur, life continues in the seed bearer region, where a seemingly random group of people have come together to try and make sense of the nonsensical. This is Hazeltown Story. As autumn comes round to the Seedbearer Nation, the entire region lights up both metaphorically and literally. Not only will it soon be time for the autumn harvest holiday, recognized by the originating tribes of the Seedbearer region, but it is also soon time for a holiday that has only recently been recognized by the region due to the ever-ballooning number of expats in the area, Halloween. The holiday's focus on costuming, food, and vivid storytelling fit right at home in the region. Halloween fever has not only set in the major cities, but also in their surrounding towns as well. Hazeltown, in particular, has been booming with decoration and events to bring in the newly recognized holiday. The citizens have been quick to recognize the holiday and get on board with the holiday spirit. Although, when one is both new to the area in general and not familiar with the holiday as well, it can be a double-headed cultural shock that one must get adapted to. This will not deter some though, as after being here for three years, the couple Rhapsody and Lomi are going to be one of those households that goes all in on the holiday. After seeing that the shops had started to sell Halloween decorations, Rhapsody and Lomi decided to go into town to make sure that they would be prepared for when the holiday comes in a few weeks. Within Hazeltown, no less than five dedicated Halloween stores were set up by the town. As they both walked into the one that was closest to Rhapsody's house, they were quickly startled by the sheer amount of decorations, costumes, and other goodies that were available to them. As it so happens, they were not the only ones they knew that were also looking into getting into the holiday for the first time. Radia had also been shopping this particular store to get some decorations for her apartment. As the couple ran into her, they got to ask if she knew anything or about how to celebrate Halloween. It turns out that Nigeria is also not a place where they celebrate Halloween, and almost all of what she knew about the holiday had been from movies and TV. Now that she's living in Hazeltown though, she was glad that she was in a place that actually celebrates the holiday that she saw so much on TV. The trio then decided to team up when it came to picking up costumes. There was a section that had costumes that one could make from normal clothes and guides of how to make them that could act as costumes from characters from movies and TV, so the trio decided to get stuff from there. Rapsy decided that she would dress as Morticia Adams, which meant that she would have to persuade Lomi into being her Gomez. It wouldn't be hard to convince Lomi to do so, as the show had a special place in their hearts, as one of the first things they did as a couple was watch the Adams family together. And sure enough, Lomi was really into the idea. Although, Rhapsody realized that while Lomi would dress the part, it would take some coaxing to make him act as anything other than his normal, stoic self. Radia saw that she could make herself a costume like the character Velma from the new show that she saw, Scooby-Doo. Something about Velma made Radia feel like they had some sort of special bond. After picking out their costumes, Rhapsody and Lomi decided to take a look at the costumes they had for children. 
Uh, there were characters based on several media that are outside the realm of what Lomi and Rhapsody were able to understand, though radio was keen enough to them to give them a little bit of insight of what they were. One thing the trio wasn't quite able to get into yet was a section for local performers they weren't quite familiar with, especially the section based on the professional wrestling scene that was growing slowly into Steinwald. They noted that there was a notable space given to a wrestler named the Talon, who looked like some sort of garb making him look like he was some sort of sacred creature, or at least that's what the picture by the costumes looked like anyway. The large, beefy cougar man wearing the garb at least got Radia's attention for a moment. After spending a few more moments in the kids' section, Rapsi and Lomi each begin to daydream of the days that maybe they could come into a store like this as a couple with maybe their own little bundle of joy. After the trio had grabbed random assortments, skeletons, pumpkins, and other plastic Halloween accoutrements, and also making sure to grab some bags of candy to hand out, although making sure that they had a little bit extra so that maybe they can enjoy it themselves, they all parted ways. Uh, Radio went on her merry way to get the decorations back to her apartment, and Rhapsody and Lomi returned to Rhapsody's place to start decorating themselves. The couple looked forward to being able to hand out the candy they got, and to get to know the neighbors a little bit more. But first, it was time to strategically place some plastic skeletons in their yard. Lila was annoyed. As she finished her smoke, she continued to stare at the note that she received from her higher up the museum. With the Halloween season approaching, the museum was looking to put on an exhibit about the more cult side of the magical relics. One of the things the museum was looking into was the Singwe family's research into what knowledge could be retrieved from residual magic left in relics. She had known that there were members of the family that lived in the area, but she didn't know exactly who they were. The request she received was to interview the head of the current Singwe household in the area, a woman by the name of Lind Singwe. She was fine with the concept of the interview. The Singwe family was held in high regard in terms of research about magical relics. The part that bothered her was the fact that someone that Lila had not expected to come back into her life has somehow managed to do so. Back when Lila was at University Abroad in Moonbeacon, there was another girl who was also studying from abroad, also named Landon Singway. The two of them were of similar backgrounds with family histories and similar upbringing. They had become natural rivals throughout their studies and entered into a four-year game of trying to one-up each other constantly. The tension between them was legendary, only lessened by some occasional sleepovers, as they were called by their classmates. Lila came to Seedbearer to leave her past behind and start anew. Why her? Why here? was all that Lila could think. She put out her cigarette and got ready to go back to work. She realized that the request didn't necessarily have to be done immediately, she was, she was able to put off for a while but eventually she'd have to face her rival once again. As Kath came up to the house that he and his crew were hired to help renovate, he noticed two things. One, that the house looked absolutely nothing like any of the other houses on the street. Two, the house was definitely inhabited by someone with centuries-old stylings of a culture he couldn't quite recognize. It was a large house, too. Probably could be considered a mansion with the numbers of rooms in it. As Kaz walked through it, he counted at least 10 bedrooms, or rooms that legally were defined as bedrooms. 
The order for what he was supposed and his crew was supposed to do was simple, and that was to update the temperature control to that of modern standards with a new techno-mechanical system. It would be an extensive job with how large the house was, but that just means a larger payoff for Cass and his crew in the end. As he did a quick survey of the rooms in the house, he saw that there were no fewer than eight people who must be living in the mansion. Although, since he was there in the afternoon, almost all of them were currently working, with the exception of the owner of the house. The owner of the house was a dragonkin woman in her mid-twenties that was quite the character. Her name was Linda Singway, and from what Cass could tell from her appearance, her trade must have something to do with dealing with magic. Mostly relics. Her study in the third floor was lined with books, trinkets, and other things that gave off quite the ominous vibe. Lind herself was quite pleasant on the other hand. A lady large in many ways. Character, curves, stature, presence. She would always stand out in a room. When Cass asked how she was able to get such a house, she said that it was her family's house that she happened to acquire when she was living here with relatives that were working in the area until they decided to move back to the home country of Springwood Isle while she was looking to move here on a permanent basis. Originally, it was her and her extended family, uh, but when they all decided that they wanted to move back to Springwood, they left Lind alone with the house all alone. And to prevent her house being seized by the council for you know, being a large house that she lived in by herself, she decided to have several of her friends move in and they could all live together. After talking about her family and friends for a while, Cass finally got the nerve to ask her about what all the books and the things she had all around were about. To Cass's surprise, it was something that he was actually familiar with. Lind was studying manuscripted books and items and trying to figure out what secrets they held. In fact, it's actually her family's claim to fame, as she mentioned. The Singway family had produced several centuries worth of histories of the best researchers into manuscripted books and relics. In fact, she mentioned that the reason that the house was designed in this weird, archaic way was that her family believed that with well-placed manuscripted ornaments placed in the house in exact same places that are placed all around the globes, that maybe they would be able to relive memories of all those who had lived in the house any of these houses before. She had mentioned that some of the ornaments that grace parts of this house have been replicated from similar ornaments that have had centuries of history replicated in them. However, while she was talking, one thing caught Cass's wandering eye. On her desk, she had a regional map as well as several more detailed maps of local towns with several markings on them. One of which was a map of Hazeltown, with several buildings circled, one of them being the library where Bibli was kept. That map was listed as potential source of the magic spikes. He didn't exactly know what that meant, but Cass was worried about any potential chance that anyone outside of his group that he trusted knew about Bibli. The two of them finished chatting, and when they finished chatting, Cass wished her farewell and told her that, you know what, he'd take the job. Though, as he courteously left, he realized that maybe before he head back to the office, that maybe 
you should really go and warn Bibli or Theron that someone might be looking into her. As part of the night manager, Asiri would look over and clean the Hazeltown library after it is closed. One of the things that she tends to like to do when she's cleaning to give herself a little bit of company is to let Bibli out and roam around and maybe, if she's in a good mood, help her clean. As it so happened, this was a night in which Bibli was in fact in a good mood and decided to help Asiri clean out the place and make sure everything was, you know, books were put on the right shelves and everything was nice and tidy. As Bibli was cleaning one of the large reading rooms, she looked up at the giant dome window. The full moon struck Bibli's eyes, to which she could see no do nothing but stare at it for a good moment. She had not seen the moon that clear in a long time and had given her a sense of nostalgia, even though she had lacked many clear memories about where she came from. She closed her eyes and tried to focus that she, if she could remember something. But instead of seeing memories of her own, it was odd. She saw visions of something else altogether. Someone else's visions. Two visions mixed in her head. One of which was a glowing dark stone held in the hand of a masked warrior standing in a square of light. The other was a glowing sword wrapped in chains. She stayed locked in thought for over a minute, contemplating what these visions could possibly mean. Bibli had not been one to have these kind of visions before, so this kind of came as a shock to her. After a good several moments, she'd come to her senses, and once she kind of realized what had happened, she had continued sleeping up the area. All the while though, she was wondering what could have brought on these visions. She had also realizing something about the visions that had not dawned on her until she just realized it. The sword and the stone were emitting similar energies to her own, similar magical signatures. She had made a mental note for future reference. One of Theron's job is to act as an appraiser for a courier shop in the Steinwald, and today he was having enjoying a particularly slow day, which allowed him to enjoy a nice seasonal coffee from one of the nearby coffee shops. The local shops really love going all out in these holidays, and Theron could not be happier for it. While slow days are bad for numbers, they do allow him to enjoy the little things. However, as Theron was halfway through his cup, a customer walked into his store. Lind had come to the store to see if they had anything in stock that might be magiscripted that the stop might not have realized was magiscripted. Ever the people person, Theron decided to strike up a conversation with her as she perused the aisles. And when they got to hobbies, Lind said the magic word, magiscripted. Theron lit up and immediately wanted to ask her what kind of magiscripted work she was work working with and what she knew about them. Two had a long conversation, especially when Lind let her know, be known that she was part of the Singwick family, and ended up mentioning her current project was. Lind explained that she had been determined to find three odd spikes of magical energy and three odd signatures that have been in this, this local region. She thought that maybe this might be tied to some sort of magical creatures that are roaming the area, or maybe some sort of other phenomena. She'd been looking into it for months. Theron 
felt that this was something that his crew might be able to be look into, and he gave her his business card. Thank you for listening to Hazeltown Stories. If you'd like to get updates on this show and many other shows hosted by me, Lola Puzzlo, you can follow at Hazeltown Story on Twitter. And if you would like to get to know me more from a personal standpoint, you can follow my personal Twitter at Lola DePuzzle. If you would like to watch this be recorded live, you can go to twitch.tv slash Puzzle and follow the channel for notifications of when this show, as well as other shows like Retro Rank Rhapsody, are being recorded. If you would like to add this podcast to your podcatcher of choice, you can search for WLDP Hazeltown Radio and find us on most major podcatching search engines. Or you can manually add rss.hazeltown.life to your podcatcher. Thank you for listening, and I hope you come around for the next episode.